Lord Jesus. We love you. For those who can honestly say that with all their hearts, just tell him how much you love him, how awesome he is, how magnificent he is, how great he is. And maybe you're, you're, maybe you're not there. Maybe you're not there with that deep sense of love and affection towards him. Ask him. Say, Lord, give me a love for you. Give me a passion for you. Lord Jesus, we love you. And Lord, teach us this morning that from that love for you, we lay our life down for you because you first laid your life down for us. Lord Jesus, you are so good. Help everyone to see that this morning. God, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would work on every single heart this morning and help them to see how great and how magnificent you are and and the great lengths that you went to to forgive us of our sins by going to the cross. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In the mighty name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Praise the Lord, man. Thank you, worship team. All glory to God, all glory to the Holy Spirit for leading us and guiding us, but it takes willing vessels. And we praise the Lord for Kevin, the worship team, and uh, very thankful for you guys. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and Stephanie will bring you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, Calvary Chapel, we go verse by verse, studying the Word, getting into the Word. So finally, about eight weeks ago, we started the book of Revelation, and I really wanted to take my time because I felt like there was so much that we could learn from each church. I wanted to take one church a Sunday. So finally today, we come to our seventh and final church. I hope you've been blessed by this study of these uh, seven churches just in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. So this morning, we're looking at the final church, Laodicea. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 14 through 22. 14 through 22. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. As we look at it now, our hearts are open And we're ready to look to see what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let's look at Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 14 through 16 so you know the direction that the passage is going in and get our our minds set. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of of the creation of God, says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And to that, I say, yikes. Jesus says he's going to spit them out of his mouth. So this morning, we're looking at the lukewarm church. This is the lukewarm church of Laodicea. Many people see the seven churches in the book of Revelation, and I would agree that their, their, their representation of the stages the church will go through prior to the return of Christ. 
So the last day's church, many people, scholars believe, will, will uh, be represented by the church at Laodicea, a, a, a lukewarm church, a church that's, that's neither cold nor hot. They're, just kind of, they're kind of like a cold cup of coffee. What do you do with a cold cup of coffee? You either painfully swallow it or you spit it out. It's not very good. I want to give you some interesting facts, interesting facts about Laodicea. This was a real city in Turkey, modern-day Turkey today, back in the first century. It was founded in 253 B.C. by Antiochus II. It was located in the Lycos Valley along with the cities of Colossae and Hierapolis. Because, and this is very important, man, when you understand the, the, the historical background and the geography and, uh, of the city, it really brings the passage to life. But, but uh, it's, it's famous because, uh, because of Laodicea's geographical location, water had to be piped into the city. That's very important. It was famous for having a strategic banking center, and it had a lot of wealth. The people there in Laodicea were very wealthy. There was a temple in Laodicea called the Moncaru, which had a medical school that produced an eye salve that was exported all across the Roman Empire. And that's very important. The omniscient Christ, looking at the church, he knows their cultural background, and he's going to use these things in their city as a teaching point as he's talking to them. Uh, church history tells us the Archippus, which was Philemon's son, was the pastor. Now, if you've been around Christianity any amount of time, you've heard of Laodicea. You've heard of Laodicea. Uh, there was a, a, a song back in the 90s called Living in the Land of Laodicea. Does anybody remember that song? It was a famous song, but it talked about the lukewarm church. It talked about the lukewarm believers. But one of the most tragic themes of, of redemption in the Bible is the rebellion of ancient Israel. So let's go back to the Old Testament for a second. God rescued them. He rescued them from Egypt and took them into the promised land. He displayed amazing signs and wonders and miracles. And he, was, he showed off to the nation of Israel. But the nation of Israel, unfortunately, still rebelled. They still rebelled. Despite God's blessing being poured out on them, they continually fell into disobedience, rebellion, and apostasy. Israel's apostasy brought grief to the Father's heart. It, it brought grief to God's heart. God's heart is that his children love him and his children obey him, and they maintain that strong, vibrant relationship with the Lord. Listen to Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48, 18, God says to the nation of Israel, if, you had, if only you had paid attention to my commandments, then your well-being would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. See, it, the nation of Israel had a decision to make. And what does he say here? If you'd only paid attention. Family, there's a responsibility on our part to take it by the horns, to, to grab hold, to press forward, and, and to take God at his word. We have a responsibility to respond. And we need to do everything in our part to respond to the grace of God and say, Lord, I love you. I trust you. I want to lay my life down for you. But the nation of Israel didn't do that. He said, only if you'd paid attention to my commandments. God gave his commandments to show us how to please him and how to live life. Listen to Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 18. 
He says, see, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if, but if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. There's benefits in serving the Lord. There's benefits and, and there's decisions. He says that there, there, there's before us all, before you today, there's life and there's death. There's blessing and there's curse. Uh, and he says in verse 16 of Deuteronomy, you know, he, he, I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments. Unfortunately, the unbelief and rebellion of ancient Israel continues today in some churches. Instead of being committed to Christ and his word, there are those who compromise and live worldly. And Jesus has strong words for them in our text this morning. So let's take a look at it. Breaking down the church, breaking down this message to the church at Laodicea, it can be broken into four parts. Verse 14 is the introduction where Jesus introduces himself. Verses 15 through 17 is what went wrong. And praise the Lord for verses 18 through 22. The Lord Jesus in his grace tells this lukewarm church, hey, this is how you can fix it. Okay? So he entered, it's like a doctor's visit. You go into a doctor's office, the doctor introduces himself. Then he tells you what's wrong with you, what disease or what's going on in your body. And then what does the doctor turn around and do? He tells you how to fix it. So praise the Lord for, for the Lord Jesus Christ, the great physician who's like a doctor. And he, he diagnoses it and he tells us how to fix it. So let's take a look at it. The first part is the introduction, verse 14. He says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? The amen, the faithful and the true witness. The beginning of the creation of God says this. Now the first thing I want you to see in verse 14 in this introduction is... Uh, John uses three grammatical articles. Three grammatical articles. They are the amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God. So we, in the book of Revelation alone, it's a fascinating study if you ever want to do it. There's over 50 titles given to the Lord Jesus Christ. And three of them are right here. The first one is he's called the amen. Now what do we do with the word amen? We like to attach it to the end of our prayers. But what does the word amen? It comes from a Hebrew word, amen, which sounds just like our English translation of the word amen. But amen means the affirmation of truth. The affirmation of truth. That's why when we pray, we say amen as an affirmation of the truth, that this is true what we're presenting, and that we believe that God is gonna take care of the issue. But it's the affirmation of truth is certainty. So what does that tell us about Jesus? That he is firm, that he is fixed, and that he is unchanging, family. You can bank your life on him. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Family, this, this is our bedrock. This is our foundation, the one who is the amen. Now, if he's the firm foundation, what should we do with the firm foundation? We need to listen to the firm foundation. And that takes us into the second article. He says, the faithful and true witness. This means that what he says is true 
and you can trust him. You can take him at his word. And then finally he says there, the beginning of the creation of God. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal God. He is the eternal creator. He was there at creation. Jesus never came into existence. He is from all eternity. He, he, he was and is and is to come. He is the eternal God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. This Lord Jesus Christ that we serve, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, that walked the streets of Galilee, that died on the cross, that rose from the grave, he is the creator of that universe. When, when you walk out the store and you look up at that big blue sky and you see that burning ball of the sun 900 million miles away, when you stand out in your yard at night and you look up at the heavens and you see all those stars, and every now and then we get to see planets. How cool is that? Or we see, get to see a shooting star. The Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, created all of that. He is the creator of the universe. So let's move to verse 15. What went wrong? So, so the Lord Jesus Christ, in the opening verse, he just overwhelms his listeners with who he is. He, he, he's, he's like, this is my weight. This is how much weight I carry. And if you understand those three statements, we do well to listen to him. So what's wrong? Verse 15 through 17. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Whoa. That's tough. You ever woke up in the morning? I do every single morning. I, when, I, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing as I'm wiping the sleep out of my eyes, you know where I'm going? I'm going straight to the coffee pot. And I'm getting that coffee pot going. I got to have my coffee in the morning. But sometimes I'll make my cup of coffee and I have it nice and hot and I'll go set it on the counter. Then I'll go back and I'll put my contacts in and do a few little things. But when I go back in the kitchen, if I waited too long, what happens to my coffee? It gets lukewarm. And I have two choices. I'll go back in and grab my coffee and I'll go to sip it. First off, it's just disgusting. It's just disgusting. And I have two choices. I can either painfully swallow it and pour it out or I can just spit it back out. And, and, and that's what is taking place here with the church at Laodicea. They, they are lukewarm. They, they, they are lukewarm. They're neither hot nor cold. And Christ says, you're, you're of no good. You're, 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 I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Um, Warren Wearsby in his commentary says, in the Christian life, there are three spiritual temperatures. So let's examine our hearts this morning. Let's find out where, where we're at. Everybody examine yourself. Nobody else. Look at yourself. Warren Wearsby says, the first spiritual temperature is a burning heart. A burning heart. A heart that's on fire. This is where the Lord Jesus Christ is first in your life. That's what it means by a burning heart. There's this, there's this you're being pulled to Christ. You love him. You want to follow him. You want to pursue him. In Luke 24, 32, uh, on the road to Emmaus, the disciples said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? You know, when Christ speaks to our heart, when the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart, when the word of God gets in our heart, you know what it does? It starts a flame. It starts a flame. 
And, and we need to let that flame grow in our love and our obedience to Christ and our growing in his word. We need to let that fire grow. That is a burning heart, not a perfect heart, but a heart that says, Lord, I love you. I want more of you in my life. That is a burning heart. The second one, um, according to Warren Wearsby, he says, uh, a cold heart, a cold heart. A cold heart rejects the gospel. They, they don't care about Jesus. It, it means nothing to them. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, it says, because of lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. You know, we have on fire hearts in this world and we have cold hearts. And the heart of cold is a heart of darkness. It's a heart that needs to be revived. It's a person that just doesn't care. And we're going to talk about this in a minute, but uh, scales, scales are on their eyes. And they can't see the glory of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. A cold heart is a heart of stone, and they are spiritually dead. Finally, Warren Wearsby says in his commentary, uh, the third temperature is a lukewarm heart. A lukewarm heart, and, and it, it's, because of, it's because of their lukewarm heart, Jesus states, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Basically, you're, you're like that nasty cup of coffee that's grown cold. It's disgusting. So, so what does it mean? I, I want to, what does it mean to be lukewarm? What does it mean to be a, a lukewarm Christian? Some people would say, you know, there's no emotion. There's no zeal. There, there's no uh, passion. There, there, they're not being charismatic. But that's not the case. That's not the case. It's, it's not about this passion and zeal because Jesus is going to define what lukewarm is in the very next verse. Look at the, the very first word of verse 17. If you have an NASB translation, the very first word is because. That word because at the opening of verse 17 connects the thought in verse 16 to, the, to what's being said in verse 17. In other words, he is defining it, that word because. So that word because tells us here is the definition of being lukewarm. He says this in verse 17. You say that I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The church at Laodicea was lukewarm, not because of their emotions or their zeal, but because Christ was not first. They placed it, it says it right there, there's your definition of lukewarm. They placed their wealth and, and, their, and their money and their homes and everything they had, the material possessions of this world, above the Lord Jesus Christ. They were consumed by their riches. They cared more about money and possessions than they did about the kingdom of God. Now, this is man's natural tendency. This is your natural tendency. This is my natural tendency in life, is to pursue money, riches, and wealth. Now, don't misunderstand me, okay? There's nothing wrong with having lots of money. There's nothing wrong with, with having wealth. There's nothing wrong with having a big house. But here's the principle. You have them. Don't let them have you, okay? We keep them under control. They serve us. We don't serve them. So we, and we have to prioritize in life what is most important. 
And what's most important in his life is that you place Christ first. Thank you, Lord, for all your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful house. Thank you, Lord, for the financial blessings that you give me through my job. Thank you, Lord, for blessing me with a new car. Thank you, Lord, for all the material things. But, Lord, none of those things, all, excuse me, all of those things are subservient to my devotion to you. It just simply means place Christ first. And if we place anything above him, we place anything more important than him. That's the point of verses 15 through 17 in being... Um, uh, lukewarm. The scripture clearly warns us to, it warns us of the dangers of pursuing material wealth and possessions over Christ. First Timothy chapter six, verse 17, the apostle says, instruct those who are rich in this present world, not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Family, the, the riches and the wealth of this world, what does it say there? It says they're uncertain. They're uncertain. They will come and go. You will go through seasons of wealth. You may go through seasons of being without, but Christ never changes. And, and riches are uncertain. Matter of fact, riches will sink you. The scripture warns us about pursuing wealth over Christ, Okay? Again, I'm, I'm not disking making, doing well in life and, and working hard. We should work hard. And we should do everything we can to make the money we need for life. But don't ever place our material wealth and our possessions above the Lord. Now, I got to be honest with you. I got to be honest. Matter of fact, let's all be honest this morning. We all, at some point in our Christian walk, we have drifted into the land of Laodicea, and our love for Christ has grown cold, and he has fallen on the list of priorities in life. When I reflect back over my past 30 years, I've gone through times of Laodicea, where Christ wasn't first, and I kind of drifted away, and he went from being number one to number three to number five to number 10 to where he was almost out of the picture. How do we fix that? How do we fix that? This is a stern rebuke to the church at Laodicea. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth because you're lukewarm. But God in his grace says this is how to fix lukewarmness. How to fix it. It starts in verse 18. Take a look at verse 18. Here's the fix. Here's how to leave, here's how to leave Laodicea and, and go into a life of placing Christ first. He says... I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments that you may clothe yourself. What is this pure gold Jesus is talking about? Again, I go back to the context of the passage. The pure gold that Christ is talking about here is returning Christ to his rightful place of being first in your life. It's, it's you confessing and saying, Lord Jesus I repent of placing this above you. I repent of placing this above you. I now place you first. That is the pure gold in the Christian life, that you seek God first. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all those other things in life will be taken care of. Seek him first. Let him take care of your finances. Let him take care of your home. Let him take care of your job. Let him take care of your marriage. Let him take care of your children. Seek Christ 
first. Place him first. That is what pure gold is. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourself. White garments um, is a picture of purity. And how do we become pure? By saying, Christ, I trust in you. I believe in your sacrifice at the cross. And I'm living my life for you, Lord Jesus. See, when we, when we come to Christ, uh, he completely washes us and cleanses us and removes our dark garments of sin and clothes us with Christ's righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He the Father made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. See, when you come to Christ, he takes all your filthy garments he takes it off of you. The, I, I think the Father, the Father takes all your filthy garments and he places it on Jesus. And then he takes Christ's perfect righteousness, his code of righteousness of who he is, and he places it on you. That is pure gold. That is the most important thing in this life, okay? When you step into eternity, there's gonna be a lot of things that you remember and don't remember. There's going to be a lot of things that you can be happy you did and you don't do. But if you don't get that right, that's going to be the one thing that you're going to remember throughout all eternity. That's going to be the biggest mistake is not completely trusting in Christ and living for him. Let's get, and then look, at, look at this. Uh, we're halfway through verse 18. I'll stop halfway through verse 18. Second half of verse, eight, verse 18, he says, And that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed an eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Remember I talked about the uh, Laodicea. There was a, the temple called the Menkaru. Um, it was a medical school that was famous for eye salve, which they made, and it was exported all over the known Roman world, and the believers there would know very well about this eye salve, about this medical treatment facility. But he, he's using an illustration there to say, hey, man, church, you need to apply eye salve. You need to fix your eyes. Now, I don't think he's talking about their physical eyes here. I think what he's talking about here is their spiritual eyes. Family, you and I, we need our eyes open in this world. And I'm not talking about our physical eyes. I'm talking about our spiritual eyes. We need to see the world with a biblical, through a biblical perspective, with a biblical worldview. Our eyes Spiritual eyes, that is, need to be opened up to spiritual realities. Our, eye, our spiritual eyes need to be opened to the truth of the gospel. They need to be opened to the truth of, of spiritual warfare. They need to be opened up to the truth of the scriptures. I want to give you a couple of verses on, on this uh, eyes being open. Psalms 119 verse 18 says, the psalmist says, Open my eyes that I may behold the wonderful things from your law. You know, before we, before we open our, sometimes when you open your Bible, you read it, sometimes it doesn't sink in. Sometimes it just, you can't connect. But I think it's very important that before you open your Bible and, and get into the word, you need to pray. And you need to say, Lord Jesus, please open the eyes of my heart. Please open my eyes so I can see the truth of God's word. That's very important. That will, very important. That will help you grow in your Christian walk. That you ask God, say, Lord, open my eyes. And as you study the pages of scripture, 
Meditate on verses. Get you out of a Vine's expository dictionary. Get you out of concordance. Study these words in their verses. There's so much there to pull out. And we need, but we need our eyes open as we study the word. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. People that are not born again, it's like there's scales. There's scales on their eyes. And they, and they cannot see spiritually. They cannot see the, the glory of Christ. And Satan likes desires, pursues to keep people's spiritual eyes closed. So he, if he can keep you from church, if he can keep you from the word, if he can keep you from Christ, he'll keep those scales locked down tight over your spiritual eyes. And so we need our eyes to be open, that spiritual warfare. I, I remember when I first came to Christ, I, I was just blown away. I was like, you know, I lived a life of sin and rebellion and just with the iron fist toward God. But when I came to Christ, I was like, oh my goodness, what have I been doing with my life? Why have I lived in rebellion all these years? Why didn't I see this? Man, he offers me forgiveness of sin. He offers me eternal life. He offers to, to get my life on the right track. Why didn't I see those things? I thought, man, this is just their religion. These Christians always witnessing to me, telling me about Jesus. I, I didn't want to, I didn't see the benefit of it. It wasn't until the Lord opened my eyes that I saw the truth of the Bible. And, and he revolutionary, he changed everything about me. In Acts chapter 9, Paul experienced this ISAV after Ananias laid hands on him and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 9 verse 18 says, And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he regained his sight. And he got up and he was baptized. The, the ISAV family that we need today is the tears of repentance over our sin. We need to think long and hard about our sin, about our rebellious ways. And we need to ask God, Lord, please break my heart. Please break my heart over my own rebellion. That's what happened with me. It, it was once I realized how far I had fallen and how far I was separated from the Lord, that it gave me tears of repentance. And we need ISAV to open our eyes to spiritual truth. So let's pray, that, as that song by Michael W. Smith, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Let that be our prayer this morning. Verse 19, verse 19, he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Looking at verse 19, the first thing I want you to see here. Now, remember, he was rebuking this church. And, and he was telling them, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. But look at the opening. Those whom I love. Jesus loved the church at Laodicea. Okay? Jesus loved this rebellious church at Laodicea, but they had lost their way. And I love there's three key words there in verse 19 that talks about his love. And this is really like a parenting love. He says, those whom I love, I reprove 
and I discipline. He is reproving and disciplining the church at Laodicea because he loves them. He loves them. The, the scripture says God loves, he, excuse me, God disciplines those he loves. This word reprove here, some of your translations say rebuke. It means to point out a problem so that you will fix it. Think about it when you're parenting your child. You love them so much that you'll step in and correct them. It's not because you hate them. It's not because you want to destroy them. It's because you love them and you care for them. And then the second word in verse 19, the NASB says discipline. Some of your translations say chastening. But discipline or chastening is, is a corrective punishment meant to point you in the right direction. That is love, family. He loves us so much, he will not let us stay in our sin. But he says, I will correct you. I will rebuke you to get you back on the right path. That is love. You know, if we see a brother or sister uh, making poor decisions, true love will go to them and say, hey, I see what you're doing, but you know what? That's going to cause you harm. That's going to be, that's, that's going to, that's going to hurt you in the long run. If we say nothing, that's like hate. Cause that's saying, that's showing that we don't care, but God loves us enough to, to, to reprove us and to discipline us. And then how, how do we leave? How do we leave the land of Laodicea? How do we leave that place of lukewarmness? He says it there at the end of uh, verse 19. He says, be zealous and repent. God, Christ loves you, family. Christ loves believers. And Christians that are lukewarm, Christ loves them, but he wants them to return to him with wholehearted devotion. How do we do that? How do, we, how do you leave the land of Laodicea? How do you leave this place of lukewarmness? Number one, you throw off the garments of Laodicea. In other words, you run like nobody's business and you repent and you say, God, please forgive me. And then you run, run, run to your heavenly father who loves you, okay? We need to remember that. Even in our rebellion, when, when people stray and people fall away, Christ still loves them. And if they will repent and they will return to him, he'll welcome them with open arms because God is love. God is a God of grace. Yes, we gotta repent. We gotta turn away from our sin. We gotta, we gotta be honest with God. We gotta be straight up with him and tell him the truth and say, Lord, I'm turning away. But again, we, we throw off the garments of Laodicea and we run to our heavenly father who loves you. Romans chapter five, verse eight says, God demonstrates his own love for us. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. The, the ultimate proof, the ultimate scientific evidence of, of God's love for you and how it's unfailing and unchanging is displayed at the cross. Let's look at verse 20, verse 20, 21, 22. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. Uh, so what does this tell us about Laodicea? Verse 20. Ver verse 20 tells us that, that, that Laodicea was a Christless church. That Jesus was not in the church. This verse is often used as an invitation passage for salvation. It can be used for that, but that's not what it means in the context of the passage. Here in verse 20 is a picture of the last day's church and Jesus is not in the church. Jesus is on the outside knocking on the door trying to get in. 
So it's like we're all having church. The church last year, they're all having church, but Jesus is not there. He's at the front door. Can I come in? That's, what, that's, that's basically what he's saying. Well, you know, we got we to say, Lord Jesus, come into church. Be at the center of our church. Let your word be at the center. Let worship be at the center. Let the fellowship be at the center. Let it all magnify you. Holy Spirit, come down and have your will in your way in the body of Christ. Lord Jesus, we open. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about Calvary Chapel. It's not about the name of any church or any way of doing things. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ being in our midst and being in the church and not on the outside. That's what he's saying there. But he also says there, I said the context of this verse is pointing to a church, which it is. But he says, I will come into him and dine with him. We say, Lord Jesus, you are welcome at our table. You are welcome to come in and dine with us. And you're welcome to come in and be a part of our lives. Let, let, you, let your rule and reign be in our fellowship. Verse 21, he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Verse 21 symbolizes this truth. It symbolizes this truth. You, Christian, will one day rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's right, I said it. You will rule and reign in his kingdom. Family, the best is yet to come. What happens in this life? This will be the worst it gets, okay? The, the, the best is yet to come in the kingdom of God. Remember that as times are trying and times are difficult. Remember the best is yet to come. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12 says this, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. So our job family as Christians is to endure. It's to endure. It's is to stay the course with the promise that one day you're going to endure, you're going to rule, and you're going to reign with the Lord Jesus Christ in His kingdom and family. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be mind blowing, man. This is this is going to be the ultimate of ultimate events in this world. You think life is good now? Or maybe you've had some things that happened in life where life was just really great. Wait till this happens in your ruling and reigning with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to be awesome. Let nothing stand in the way of serving Christ. Let nothing get in the way of being a believer. Because, man, it's going to be awesome. Revelation chapter 5 verse 10 says, You have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. There is coming, family, a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ upon the earth. It's talked about at the, in the book of Revelation. I think it's in Revelation 20. But there's coming a literal 1,000-year rule and reign, okay? And we are going to be in that kingdom here on this earth. We're not going to be like angels floating around on clouds playing harps. None of that is biblical, Okay? We're going to be ruling and reigning with the Lord Jesus Christ on a new heavens and a new earth, and it's going to be glorious. He says, he who overcomes, okay? 
That, that phrase, he who overcomes, implies that there's difficulties in this life. It, 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 it implies there's challenges in this life. And you got to put on your boxing gloves. you got to put on your spiritual boxing gloves. you got to put on your armor. And you say, you know what? I'm going to fight the good fight. I'm going to take hold of eternal life. I'm going to take hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to overcome every single obstacle that comes my way. Why? Because I, I, look, I look on the other side of the obstacle. I look beyond the difficulties. And I, and, I, and I see the Lord Jesus Christ on the other side. And I'm going to keep my eyes on him as I fight my way through the difficulties, through the trials, and through the tribulations. And then finally he says, in our final verse of our study of the seven churches in the book of Revelation is verse 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. The Holy Spirit speaking through the scriptures this morning is telling us this morning, don't be lukewarm. And understand that all, all, all of our wealth, don't get me wrong, I, I like to save money, you know, I like to take care of myself materially, and I, I like to, you know, have a nice house and all that. But I understand this, that one day all that money, all that house, and all my material possessions will one day be pulled out of my cold, dead hands. And the only thing that will be left is eternity and standing before the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, there's nothing wrong with having material wealth. There's nothing wrong with having houses. We need to take care of ourselves in this life. But never place the material things of this world above the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, my friend, will keep you from becoming like that cold, nasty cup of coffee that's lukewarm. <laughs> Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, thank you for this study. Thank you for this church of Laodicea. Lord, you, you, you rebuked them pretty hard, and, and you laid the wood, Father. But at the same time, Father, you showed them how to fix it. So I pray, Father God, that each and every one of us here, family, each, each and every believer here will place you first in their life. And Father, if they have blown it, Lord, I pray that they'll bring it to your throne of grace. And I pray that you'll restore the joy of their salvation and they will place you first in all things. Father, thank you for this awesome seven or eight week study on these churches. Lord, let us take these things to heart. Let us, let us be like the church at Philadelphia. Let us be faithful. Father, help us not to be like the church at Sardis because they were dead. Father, help us, Lord, to be um, like the church at Thyatira and not to tolerate false teachers. Lord, help us to be like the church at Pergamum, endure difficulties, endure persecution, and not to compromise. And Father, help us to be like the church at Ephesus, or help us not to be like the church at Ephesus. Help us not to leave our first love, but to love you first in all things. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And uh, we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.